Well, if you would, take your Bibles and join me tonight in turning to the book of Job. Job chapter 1 is where we'll be this evening. Job chapter 1. And while you're turning, I'll breathe a minute. Job chapter 1. I want to give a challenge to all of you young men in the church. When I came to college, and it wasn't because of what I learned at school, it was mainly just the general programming of society, you were sort of taught that just music was sort of a a girl thing. And nothing could be farther from the truth. You know, there's a hymnal in your Bible. It was written by a man. Now, ladies, please. I want you to understand, uh, we need your sweet voices in the choir and we need your hands on the pianos just as much as anything else. But I want to give a challenge to the men because I feel like in our churches today, men shy away from music. But can I tell you, uh, you can be a man and sing. Uh, If you don't think that singing in music is very manly, why don't you ask David? Have any of you ever killed a lion and a bear in private? And a giant in public. And uh, so I encourage you young men, uh, listen, don't let the ladies do all the singing. Uh, you, you get into it and dive into those groups. And people say, how did you learn to sing? I'll tell you how I learned. Make a lot of mistakes. I learned to sight read music when I was in a congregation just like this. You know the wonderful thing about that is you be singing a hymn, you're trying to read a part and you can't figure it out and you squawk a bad note. Well, when you're in a congregation, you just look at the person beside of you. (laughs) As if to say, where'd that come from? But it was uh, when I came to Ambassador Baptist College, I'd surrendered my life to the Lord when I was 15 years old. I was saved at the age of 12. I was raised in public school. My father drank heavily. Um, I had very little gospel influence until I started riding a church van to the Turner's Creek Baptist Church when I was 10 years old. And after hearing the gospel preached for two years, I was saved at the age of 12, and the second most important decision I ever made in my life was when I was 15 years old. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Now at that time, I had no clue of what it would be. God could have called me to be a trash truck driver the rest of my life, and I would have said, yes, Lord. And uh, so then it was two years later, as a 17-year-old in public high school, God called me to preach, and I found myself going through the doors of Ambassador Baptist College in the fall of 1992. When I came to Ambassador in 1992, it was led by Evangelist Ron Comfort, had a fire in his bones to preach the gospel and to train men to preach the gospel. And I was raised in that environment. As while I was an ambassador, my uh, understanding and my dedication to the local church was strengthened. It was during my time at ambassador that I was taught by experienced faculty members. I'm talking about men who'd been in the pastorate 20, 30, 40 years Uh, I think we do a great disservice in the Bible colleges today to put our students in a room with somebody who has very little ministry experience. It's not that you can't learn from anyone, but I will tell you, I would rather spend my time with somebody who's been there and done that. And there's some great value in that. I sat in a classroom where I was taught the importance of traditional conservative music. Uh, I sat in chapel services where I heard the preaching of the Word of God and it stirred me, first of all, to be right with the Lord and, number two, to serve the Lord. 
And here we are tonight, 35 years later, at Ambassador, and we're doing the same thing. Uh, Our focus is training men and women for full-time Christian service. And we believe this, if you're going to go into ministry, what better book to train somebody in than the Bible? Now, how novel is that? But you know, it's interesting in our Christian liberal arts schools and other places, the more liberal arts oriented they've become, the less Bible they require. When somebody graduated from the Moody Bible Institute in the early 1900s, they had 90 hours of Bible. You take a Christian college major who is a Bible major, and in many places they'll have 32 to 36 hours of Bible. And so at Ambassador, our goal is to take you from Genesis to Revelation, book by book in the classroom. No Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, those things are good. But we just take you systematically through, book by book. And by the time somebody graduates, for the men, they'll have at least 66 hours of Bible. For the ladies, they'll have at least 60. Why is that? Because we believe in the importance of having the Bible as the foundation. And then for our men, they double major in pastoral studies, evangelism, missions, music, youth ministries. And then for the ladies, Christian elementary education, uh, missions, and music. It's interesting, missions is probably one of our biggest majors along with pastoral studies. And uh, we're thankful for that. But I'm going to tell you, I, I, I believe that every teenager ought to spend at least one year in Bible college. Amen. Now there's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt do that. But I'm going to tell you why I believe that. Because I've seen through the years, I've seen some come and they're like, I have no clue what in the world... God wants me to do with my life. They sit in chapel services four days a week. They're in an environment where people want to serve the Lord. And one of two things usually happens. One, sometimes they stay and they go into a ministry major. Or two, when they leave our campus, they've got clarity and they go on to the next step and they serve the Lord wherever it may be. And so to you young people here tonight, I want to challenge you to consider that. Uh, here at the, or at Ambassador, one thing that we have that we're doing to help juniors and seniors in high school is uh, we now have a dual enrollment program where each semester we offer one or two Bible credits or Bible classes free of charge. And now there is a technology fee, but it's not one of those hooks and snag kind. I mean, it's really minimal compared to what the tuition rate is. But students can take those during their junior and senior year and graduate with almost a semester of Bible under their belt, and it's transferable to other like-minded Bible colleges. Uh, We have students who come. They may not come to Ambassador, but they go to another uh, like-minded school, and we let those credits go with them. The thing is, it is a live class. Uh, We offer it uh, certain days of the week at 1.30 p.m. Monday through Thursday is usually how that runs. And so the student has to have that available. But it's a live class, it's interactive, and it is a legit college course. And so if there are any of you here that are interested, and there's some even in Christian schools uh, that are taking it. As a matter of fact, there is a young man from Colorado who is in public school who's taking it. His public school is giving him the hour, and he sits right in the middle of that place that desperately needs the gospel light, and he can pray, read the Bible, and we talk about how to do personal evangelism. And so if you'd be interested in the Step Ahead program, that's what it's called, visit our website, ambassadors.edu, and uh, you'll look on the toolbar, you'll find Step Ahead. And uh, we would love uh, to have some folks from this area join us for that juniors and seniors in high school dual enrollment program. 
Uh, pray for us as we celebrate our 35th anniversary in our Bible conference here in just a few weeks. We're going to have graduates preaching every service. We have more than a thousand graduates that are scattered all over the globe and preaching the gospel. And we want to keep doing that till Jesus comes. And so I'm thankful to hear of students here in the church that are going to Bible college. I told pastor yesterday, I said, if all of our good Bible colleges were packed to the gills, I'd be happy. Uh, with people who want to serve the Lord and to preach the gospel faithfully. And so remember us at Ambassador. We'd love for you to come for a visit. We have college days in February and November. And uh, we'd love for you to come and make a visit to ABC. Job chapter 1 this evening. I hope I've given you enough time to find it. If not, let me help you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Job is a little ways before that, all right? When I read from the book of Job, I'm constantly reminded when I was an, a know-it-all kindergartner who was unchurched, I was playing out in the school playground with a young man. He was telling me about going to Sunday school and they learned about a character in the Bible. And he said the name of that man was Job. And I looked at him and I said, how do you spell that? He said, J-O-B. I said, that's not Job, that's Job. He looked at me and said, well, that's what they say it is. I said, well, J-O-B spells job. Everybody knows that. A few years later, when I got in junior church, I realized who the real idiot was. It was me. I was a know-it-all. Job chapter 1, verse number 18 is where I'd like to begin. The Bible says, While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold... There came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave And the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. You know, in the last 20-some years of evangelism, I've learned everywhere I go to ask what time the services start. I remember how I definitively learned this lesson, and I know in order to tell you the story, I have to put it back in the setting. This was before the internet was popular. This was before we had cell phones and GPSs. I know that's hard for some people to imagine. But I was at a church for the first time in the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. I had my son Andrew with me, and I had forgotten to ask the pastor what time the services began. I was in a, a room, a prophet's chamber, away from the church, and I did not have the number of the pastor. And I looked over at my son, and I said, Well, son, since I don't know what time anything starts, I said, Let's get at the church at 9.15. I said, that way, if the Sunday school starts at 9.30, we're safe. And if it starts at 10, we're really doing well. Well, we agreed on that, and the next morning came, and we arrived at the church parking lot at 9.15, and I was horrified by what I saw. A full parking lot. Now, I know it's awful for a preacher to be horrified at a full 
parking lot, but the only reason was I knew that I was in trouble. And as I walked in sheepishly into that church, the pastor is teaching the Sunday school class that I was supposed to be teaching that had started at 9 a.m. I crawled on glass at at the end of the Sunday school invitation or the Sunday school hour, and I told the pastor how sorry I was, and he was like, "Yeah, you are sorry to leave me in this predicament." But you know, all was well after that. But you know, churches they meet at different times. Uh, Here, I pastor gave me the brief yesterday. I popped it into my schedule so that I could make sure I'd uh, be ready to go. But you know, I've been in some churches, there was a church that was planted in New Hampshire. You want to know when their Sunday morning service was? 8 a.m. You say, boy, that's non-conventional. You're right, but when that's the only time you can rent the YMCA, that's what you do. And it was really interesting in that church, they had visitors in the 8 a.m. service. They had Sunday school at 5 p.m. So you're like, well, that's dumb. We're supposed to have that in the morning. Well, when that's the only time you can get it, that's when you have it. And then they had the evening service at 6. You know, most churches I'm in, the morning service starts anywhere from 9 to 11 o'clock. I've just learned Baptists do everything different. And sometimes I believe they do it differently just to be cantankerous. (laughs) Ornery. But if I asked what takes place... In those services, I believe that most people would just casually say, when we have service at church, that is when we come together and we worship. And I think that's great. I think it's great that God's people meet together corporately. By the way, that's New Testament. Did you know that? But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to look with me tonight in a passage of a man who chose to worship God not at 9.45, not at 11 or 6 p.m., but this was a man who chose to worship God in one of the most awfulest moments of his life. And I want you to see tonight the priority that Job places upon the worship of God. And tonight I want to give you a distinct challenge not only to worship God corporately as you gather on Sundays and Wednesdays in special meetings, but ladies and gentlemen, I believe that it is important for every Christian to know what it means to worship God individually. And tonight I want you to see that Job took time to worship And my question is, do you? To help you understand Job's heart tonight, I want to show you four things very quickly. Number one, I want you to see, first of all, Job's pain. Job's pain is very vividly illustrated in verse 20 when the Bible says that he tore or rent his mantle and he shaved his head. What is it that would cause a man to go to such grief? What happened to cause this man to have such an outward show of agony and sorrow? The fact is, is Job has just heard news that no parent wants to ever hear. And this news comes on the tail of basically hearing that he's lost all of his material possessions. One servant after another comes to Job and delivers blow after blow. 
Job, you've lost this aspect of your material possessions. Job, you've lost this aspect of your material possessions. And now, he's told that he has lost not one, not two, but all of his children. pastor mentioned this morning, Billy Abbott. Billy was a friend of mine. We were classmates at Ambassador for a season. He was an evangelist. Passed away when he was 52 years old. I still remember sitting on my front porch and the pastor of, the home, of his home church called me and I was devastated. Excuse me, it was the pastor's son-in-law that called me. I was devastated when I heard these two words. He said, Billy's gone. Every summer, Billy would spend his time at a camp. It was a tuition-free camp where they would reach lost kids by the truckloads. He died in an RV trailer, peacefully. I went to the funeral that was in Mississippi, and when I went to that funeral, I saw before they closed the casket, it was Billy's wife, his kids, and Billy's parents all stood before that casket before it was to be closed for the last time. And I watched them gather together, hug each other, and weep. And while I was sitting out there, somebody had informed me that in one year's time, Billy's parents had buried two boys, Billy and his brother. And I still remember sitting, I was just sitting off to the left of the pulpit, and I still remember the heaviness, and it didn't even happen to me. And I remember the heaviness that was in my soul as I thought this dear couple has had to walk out of a side door twice to have two funerals within a year's time. And now Job hears news that all of his children are dead. And this pain overwhelms him. The Bible says that he shaved his head. He rent his mantle. You know, grieving back in Job's day was perhaps a little different than what happens in ours. In our day, used to be back in the country where I was raised in rural North Carolina. When somebody died, the funeral home would come. They would put out signs on both sides of the driveway asking you to drive slower. There would be a wreath on the door and people in the community would bring food by the truckloads to feed the family during their time of bereavement. Now, I know times are changing. But back in Job's day, when that happened, it was not uncommon for them to take their clothes and to rip their clothes. Why did Job rent, why did he rent his mantle? Why did he tear his clothes? I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that it was a vivid picture of what was going on in his heart. The longer you go in your human experience, the more you're going to find there are times where you go through a veil of tears. There will be events in your life that will tear your heart out. And oftentimes it may involve family and those who are close to you and you will be devastated. But can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, in the time where your heart is being torn, in the time when sorrow is to overwhelm you, listen to me, according to Job, that's the time to worship. That's not the time to run from God and isolate yourself from, from God. That is the time where you bow before Him and you worship Him. The worship of God got Job through this time and it'll do the same for you. He rent his mantle and he shaved his head. 
Those two things show us the pain that Job experienced. You know, I look across this auditorium tonight and while there's an abundance of blessings, I know that there's also an abundance of pain. I talked to a woman in Chesapeake, Virginia. She'd been married to a preacher for over 50 years. I saw her for the first time after her husband's funeral last year. It's been a little over a year ago now. And she looked at me and she said, You know, she said, This last year in some regards has been the hardest time in my life as I've been alone. But she said, At the same time, God's been so real to me in a way that I could have never known. You may go through life and experience pain. Let me rephrase that. You will go through life and you will experience pain, but Christian, you are not alone. Number one, Job's pain. But number two, I want you to see Job's posture. At the end of verse 20, the Bible says that he fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Pay very careful attention to what Job does. After Job receives this devastating news, the Bible tells us that he goes to the ground and he worships God. And I want to talk about his posture for a moment. You know, sometimes when people are given bad news, they collapse to the ground just out of exasperation. My dad passed away when I was 15 years old. I came home on the church van on a Wednesday night. It was 9 o'clock. And by 9.30 that evening in our living room, my father passed away. And as my mom and I stood there, she collapsed in the chair just that was right by her. There was nothing else she could do. And I stood there helplessly. And while there are many people that collapse out of, out of exasperation, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that when Job went to the ground, I don't believe it was by accident. I don't believe that it was just merely because of I'm just falling backwards. I believe that Job fell to the ground with purpose. And the reason I believe that is because of what he did after he fell to the ground. This is no accident. It's a very purposeful event. Now before I talk about Job worshiping God, let me ask you a question. When is the last time you've ever gotten down on your knees or you've just laid down before the Lord and you've poured out your heart to Him? Now I know what some of you are thinking. There's some of you that are like a Bible college professor I had who was in his late 80s. We were in a prayer meeting one day. And he looked at me and he said, Alton, I'm going to just tell you right now. He said, I can't get down on my knees or I can't get back up. And I looked at him I said, that's okay, Brother Childs. (laughs) I think you've been on them enough. The Lord knows it's all right. He knows the posture of your heart. And so for those of you here tonight, you may feel a little discriminated against. You're like, oh, I'm going to tell you, that just kills me to think about it because we have to get a tow truck to get me up. I'm not here to shame you tonight. I know God knows the posture of your heart. But can I say to the majority in this room, listen, while I know you can pray sitting in your car, you can pray sitting in a pew. Can I tell you, I do believe that there is something to getting down on your knees or your face before God. It's a sign of humility. That's why some people, when an invitation is given, they're like, I just don't like that. Because Why? 
Because we have to humble ourselves. You know, if people say, I, I did an invitation. I don't, I don't want to respond publicly because I don't know what people may think. Listen to me. It does not matter. When you humble yourself before God, nothing else matters. And if you're here and you're like, well, somebody will see that I'm not perfect. Listen, they already know that. There's not a perfect one of us here. When is the last time that you've gotten down on your knees or your face before God? You say, preacher, I'll be honest. It's been a long time. Maybe you're a new Christian. Can I tell you, try it. Jesus said, go into your closet. Just go somewhere. Get down on your knees and talk to God. Or maybe you just sprawl out on your face and you talk with God. I'm telling you, Job did that. Why? Because he humbled himself before God. You know, often whenever we have pain inflicted on us, the last thing we want to do is humble ourselves. I remember years ago in the student center, there was a student in there, and I went over to him and I punched him hard in the shoulder. And after punching him hard in the shoulder, he reared back his hand and he turned around, and when he saw it was me, he just dropped his fist. I told him, I said, if I dish it out, I ought to be able to take it. But isn't that illustrative of the way we are a lot of times when we're hurt, a lot of times when we've been injured? Hey, the mentality is not to humble ourselves. It's to retaliate and it's to fight. Well, I'm going to tell you one of the worst things you'll ever do is fight God. You'll lose every time. What did Job do? When Job was hurt into the depths of his soul, he humbled himself. And listen to this wonderful promise. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. It may be that you humble yourself on your knees, but God is there to pick you up. But the Bible tells us that he fell down upon the ground and worshipped. You know, I believe that the word worship is one of the most misunderstood words in Christianity today. I know for a fact there's tons of confusion about it in the general church world, and I'm going to tell you how I know that. You see these advertisements for churches, and they'll have a, church, they'll have a man who's called a worship pastor. And in a lot of these churches, the worship pastor is a man who sits on a stool with a guitar. He can halfway sing. And he's dressed there casually and they say that he is leading our worship. Let me tell you, that title, worship pastor, has done great damage to the understanding of worship. Let me tell you something, music in and of itself is not equated with worship. But you get to a lot of places today and people say, Oh man, I'm going to tell you what, we worship God. And what do they mean? They've rocked out for 30 minutes or an hour in their churches and they have a five-minute sermonette and they're done. Let me tell you, there are many people in America today that are deceived about worship. Worship is not... Now, can you worship in music? Well, I believe, I believe you can. When you're in the pew and you're singing, It is well with my soul, like we sang earlier today, and you get to verse 3, which pastor said, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Listen, when you're in the pew and your heart rises in praise, yeah, I'll say that's worship. 
But you know what worship is by definition? This may surprise you. You know what the Old Testament word for worship means? It's the word shechah. It just means to bow down. You know what worship is the idea of? It's the idea of submission. That gives hope to some of you in here that can't sing a lick. Guess what? You can still worship God. (laughs) You say, I can't even keep time on a clock, much less keeping time in music. I'm going to tell you, it's not music that's worship. You know what it is? It's when a person makes the choice to submit himself to God. That is an act of worship. When a man places his offering in a box or a plate and he does it cheerfully, you know what that is? That's worship. When somebody sings with a clean and a pure heart, praises to God, yes, that's worship. When the preacher is preaching and the Holy Spirit wrenches your heart and you respond in conviction and humility, that is worship. But I'm afraid even in our Bible preaching churches, we've lost a great sense of worship. We've become accustomed to routine. We go through the motions and I'm for an order of service. I think you ought to have one. But in the end, can I tell you, if your heart is not where it needs to be and you're not willing to let God work in your heart and submit yourself to Him, listen, you will not worship. You will attend a service, but you're not worshiping. I want to ask you a question tonight. When's the last time you've had an intimate time with God outside the walls of this church building where you worship God? Now, brother, you know I think you ought to be in here every chance you get and you ought to worship God with the people of God. But I'm afraid for some people it's just a mere exercise three days a week when God wants you to worship Him in spirit and in truth every day of your life. Young people, can I tell you, I think one of the greatest things that will help you in your spiritual development is at a young age, learn what it means to worship God and to do it. Sit in a school chapel service, hear the Bible preached, and when God convicts your heart, humble yourself. It will take you farther down the road than any talent or any athletic ability. But how does Job respond? Job responds in this pain, not with fighting, but with worshiping God. Number one, his pain. Number two, his posture. But number three, I want you to see his praise. In verse 21, after getting this news of losing his children, Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. Now, you know, it's in that statement. He just states a common truth of mankind. Job's one of the oldest books in the Bible. And can I tell you, at the dawn of humanity all the way to 2024, here's something that's true. You didn't bring anything in and you ain't taking nothing out. I was preaching a funeral for a family member who was a very wicked man. I witnessed to him on his deathbed. And they asked me to preach the funeral. It was one of the hardest funerals I ever had to preach. It was one of the first ones I ever had to preach. And I was at the visitation the night before in the funeral home. And uh, this man, he'd been involved in drugs and other things and had left his wife and a whole list of things that just weren't good. 
And I'm standing there near the casket and one of his buddies came over and he slipped something down into the casket and he walked over and he saw his friend. I overheard the conversation. He said, well, he said, I just went over there and slipped a 20 into that casket in case he needs it. You know, had I not been a preacher of the gospel... I would have walked over there and lifted that $20 bill and not thought twice about it. Maybe I should have, but I didn't. I should have walked over to the guy and said, I hate to tell you this, but he's not going to be able to use it, so I'll take it. Now, that's funny because all of us know that truth, but yet we live opposite of it. If we can't take it with us, why do we get so attached? One of the things that got Job through this thing is Job realized who gave him his children and who took them away. Listen, I'm not saying it's easy. Listen, sometimes easy preaching makes for hard living. You know, it's like, ah, that's easier said than done. But I'm telling you, it does not negate the fact. Listen, anything, we didn't bring anything with us. We can't take anything out. Anything that we have, who gave it to us? God. And in Job's praise, there's two things that come out about this testimony. Number one, it reveals his attitude towards his possessions. When he said, I didn't bring anything in, I didn't take anything out, he's basically saying, listen, I I just have nothing. When it's all said and done, you take the owners of Microsoft, Apple, and Tesla, they have lots of money this side of eternity, but none of them will take anything out. And I marvel, Job's attitude about this, about his possessions was this, Lord, it's yours. It's not, you gave it, you take it. And yet there are some of us in this room tonight, we're so attached to things and God begins to meddle in our hearts and we need to be reminded we came into this world naked and we're going to leave the same way. But not only am I amazed at Job's attitude about his possessions, you know what I'm amazed at? His attitude about God. When at the end he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what I've learned? If I have a hard time saying good about somebody, I've probably got something in my heart towards that person. If somebody has wronged me, they've done something to injure me, and I hear somebody say something praising that person, and just something inside of me says, "Mm, you couldn't pay me to say that. But you know, it's possible sometimes for Christians to have trouble praising God. All right, let me make it a little more personal. Can I tell you, in my Christian walk, there have been instances in my life where sometimes I've had difficulty in praising God. And when I've had that difficulty, you know where I have to come to this conclusion. It's not God's fault, it's mine. Right. 
There may be some of you tonight, you're working through an instance in your life and you say, right now, I'm having a hard time praising God. Listen, let that be an indicator to you about your attitude towards God. And I promise you, if you'd have the same attitude that Job would have, it'd help you immensely. You know, every Thanksgiving at Ambassador, the day before Thanksgiving, we have an annual praise chapel. It's one of my most favorite services of the year. For two continual hours, we have music and testimonies, and it's mainly testimonies, and it's the fastest two hours of my life. Instead of people talking about corns and bunions and how bad life is and how troublesome... I mean, everybody gets up there, and I mean, God did this, or this about the Lord excites me, God saved me. I mean, two hours of that, and we do it at Thanksgiving. It's a wonderful, wonderful praise time. But listen to me, don't you reserve your praise just for Thanksgiving. It may be that there's some people in this room tonight, you will kick it up to the next level in your spiritual life if you would take what's been handed to you and handle it like Job, submit yourself to God and praise Him. Number one, His pain. Number two, His posture. Number three, His praise. But last of all, I want you to see tonight His purity. Verse 21, in all this, let me tell you, that word all may be three letters, but there's a lot in it. In all this, all, losing everything, that's all. Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. You know what this verse teaches me? It's impossible to make it through the the roughest episodes of life unless you purpose in your heart to worship God through thick and thin. You know, remember when you got married and you stood there and you gave those wedding vows? In sickness and in health, you know. And I'm going to tell you what, some of you are like, I had no idea what I was saying. (laughs) For better, for worse... You're like, I, I was 20 years old and knew nothing. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of people in here tonight. You're still married. Why? Because while you didn't understand the depths of those vows, like I didn't, you meant it with all of your heart and you've stuck through thick and through thin. Let me tell you, you need to do that with God. God, I'm going to worship you in the mountaintops. God, I'm going to worship you in the valley. And the only reason Job could come to the end of the story and have no sin, neither charge God foolishly, is because Job made the choice to worship God. Listen to me. If you're sitting in here and you dress the part, but you don't worship God, you're not in the Bible, you don't pray on a regular basis, can I tell you, you're not going to end this way. You may look the part, but if you're artificial and you don't really take the time to worship God and you've become too busy, you will falter, you will stumble. That last phrase when it says, nor charged God foolishly, you know that's an interest. What does that mean? Not only did Job not sin, but Job didn't even make a foolish accusation against God. Let me ask you, have you ever charged God foolishly? Do you remember the disciples in Mark chapter 4? 
They're on the Sea of Galilee. Now these are the twelve that Jesus chose Himself. And they're on the Sea of Galilee. The storm comes. They're about to die. They wake up Jesus. Do you remember the question they asked Him? Carest thou not that we perish? Some of you are like, why would you say it that way? Because I don't think they said, excuse me. When you think to die, you just sort of throw all tact out the window. And I think those guys, they came to Jesus and they said, Don't you care that we're about to die? You know, I believe that what those disciples did, they charged God foolishly. Our unbelief brings us to the point where we say things about God that we wish we could take back. The truth is, nobody cared for them more than Jesus. But you know, there have been times I've been guilty of that. About ten years ago plus, my wife was diagnosed with Lyme's disease after two long years of doctor's appointments with no answers. It was so frustrating. And finally, after two years, God guided us to a doctor. My wife gave all these symptoms. She had suffered adrenal failure where she could hardly even get out of the bed at this point and was having neurological issues where she couldn't even walk a straight line. And after being married for about 18 years to this woman, I knew something was wrong and nobody could tell us anything. Finally, the doctors diagnosed her. They began treating her. Her symptoms started alleviating in time. But I'm going to tell you, there was a crunch time in my life where all of a sudden, now I'm not only husband and dad, but now I am chief bottle washer, washer, cook, homework helper, and I cancel meetings in order to be able to stay at home and take the time to devote to what I need to on the home front. And sometimes it wore me to the bone. I remember one night I was at the sink. It was about 10 o'clock at night and it had been one of those days. It had been a full day at the college. I got home. I did everything that I knew to do. I still remember that day tutoring my daughter in spelling and she is not a speller. And I am not a teacher. And I'm going to tell you what, I was brought to a point at the end of that day, I'm washing dishes and I started talking to the Lord and I said, Lord, I don't know why this is happening to me. And I just made it out like I was just the victim in the whole matter. Now God's never talked to me in an audible voice, but I'm going to tell you, had He done it that day when I was finished from heaven, He would have said, all right, are you finished? And I'm going to tell you, after I made my complaint to the Lord, I still remember that day at the sink, I bowed my head and I said, Dear God, forgive me. I'd been caught in my tracks. I had had charged God foolishly. And if there are some of you in here tonight, you've done the same thing. Listen to me. The best thing you can do is humble yourself like Job and get up on your feet and walk with God. You know, it's very rare for us to worship God when Job did. That's the time where we fall to pieces and we just let the world go and we just get angry. But Job took the time to worship God. We have a student, actually a graduate now. She was from the Ivory Coast. She had an interesting story. She was adopted at the age of 17 years old. 
You say, well, why do you adopt somebody when they're 17? They're almost an adult. Because when you're in a third world country and both of her parents had died, she was alone. This missionary couple adopted her to protect her from the evils there. And they loved on her like her own child. They, 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 she was their own child. Her mom and dad had passed away. They adopted her at the age of 17. Eventually she comes to Ambassador. But it's during her time in coming to Ambassador that her adopted mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and was laying in a hospital in Michigan or Pennsylvania, or excuse me, Maryland or Pennsylvania and was dying. And when I learned about this, I sent a message to that young lady and I told her, I said, I want you to know we're praying for you. Our heart really goes out to you. And she messaged me back and I want to read to you this message as I close the message tonight. And understand her first language is not English, it's French. So you'll hear a little bit of discrepancy there. But I want you to listen and don't you miss the heart of what she was saying because I believe what she was saying was exactly what Job was saying. She said, thank you so much for praying. We're still at the Mercy Hospital with Mom. She could not breathe much, so they put her on the breathing machine. And right now, there's nothing we can do. But we still believe that God is still able. And even if He doesn't, it okay. We will still trust in Him and leaning on Him. Please pray for my dad and for every decision he has to make and for me. It's hard when you've already lost a mother and God bless you with a second one and you realize that you're going to lose her in a minute or two. But I want you to listen to how she ended it. It's hard. But there's nothing that belongs to me. And I'm going to tell you, that day a lady in her young 20s taught me a lesson. That what worked in Job's day still works today. It may be that tonight you need to take some time and worship. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed tonight. During this time of invitation, I want to begin by asking, is there anybody here this evening and you're either not sure or you know that Christ is not your Savior? Tonight we've talked about worship and I didn't take the time to explain this this evening, but there are a lot of people in the world, they try to worship God, but they can't. And the reason they can't is because they've never been born again. They've never trusted Christ. I may be talking to somebody here this evening. You say, Preacher, I come to church and it's always an empty experience. And it may be that the reason why you've never known what it means to worship God is because, first of all, you need to be saved. And I wonder if there are people here tonight and you'd say, Preacher, I've heard the message and I'm either not sure or I know that I'm not saved. I can't worship God until I settle the question of salvation. And you'd say, Preacher, would you please pray for me tonight? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand long enough for me to see it? Just slip it up long enough for me to see it and I'll acknowledge it and you can put it right back down. Is there anybody like that tonight? All right. Two more questions I'd like to ask. I wonder if there are people here this evening and you'd say, you know, preacher, you talk about worshiping God and to be quite honest in my walk, 
For some of you, maybe it's become very spotty and walking with God. Others of you, you're like, I'm just going through the motions. For some of you, you're like, I've just not taken the time to worship God. I wonder if there are people here tonight, you say, I am a Christian, I know I'm saved. But I'm afraid that sometimes the closest I get to the Lord is when I come to a church service and tonight my heart's convicted because I've lost sight that I need to worship God every day of my life. And you'd say, preacher, would you pray for me as a Christian? God's dealing with me tonight about worshiping God on a daily basis. And I've not been doing that. And tonight God's dealt in my heart about submitting my heart afresh and anew in worship. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Are there folks like that tonight? There's several here. God bless you. You may put them down. I wonder if there are individuals here and you'd say, Preacher, in my life in recent days I've experienced some loss. I've experienced some pain. And you would say, it's jarred me. And this example of Job tonight has helped me. You say there's some specific pain... There's some specific agony in my life that's happened in recent days. And I have dealt, I've struggled with it, I've tried to work through it. And tonight, God has very definitely dealt in my heart to respond like Job to that pain. And you'd say, Preacher, would you pray especially for me tonight? If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Are there folks like that tonight? There's several here. God bless you. You may put them down. In a moment, we're going to stand together and after I pray, I'm going to ask our musicians to begin playing. And on the very first note that they play tonight, can I ask you, if God's dealt in your heart and you just need to worship Him, I invite you to come. Come tonight and kneel before the Lord. Don't wait until you get home. Worship Him tonight in spirit and in truth. And let's leave this place not only having a time of worship corporately, but as we go home, that our homes will be places of worship. Would you join me in standing, if you're able, would you join me in standing tonight? Father, Lord, as we end this service this evening, may you help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I pray for those that are bearing a great burden tonight. And Lord, maybe they've stumbled like I have. God, would you lift them up tonight as they humble themselves? Lord, I pray for individuals here that know in their walk it's gotten formalistic or non-existent. Lord, tonight that they would rediscover worship. Help us to make this a time to worship in Jesus' name.